In this episode of Wisdom Talks, John Barter discusses the four jhana, translated as the four states of meditation in Theravada Buddhism. To encourage and inspire the possibility of refinement of consciousness and deeper states of mind, and that there is great joy and peace beyond just worldly pursuits. So we have been looking at uh, some of the numerical collections of the Buddha's teachings, especially the sets of four. But um, I thought I was finished with the sets of four, but uh, I um, remembered there was another set that could be uh, spoken about especially in the context of uh, not so much what we spoke about last week, which was part of a set of five. We spoke about uh, sadha or trust. But uh, before that, we spoke about uh, the four Aryapugala, the four, the four stages of enlightenment or the four levels of enlightenment, the four um, enlightened people, so four different stages, and then even before that, the four ultimate Buddhist concepts, so very um, uh, powerful concepts that um, transcend the mind beyond, beyond mundane worldly issues and stresses. And so I thought to add into that another set of four that is also quite uh, uh, special and refined, spiritual in a sense. Maybe to um, uh, lead into this with uh, a reminder of a Buddhist trinity. So whilst we spoke about uh, a number of factors of three in Buddhism and in the Buddhist teachings, the practice trinity in Buddhism is sila, samadhi, panya. Sila being uh, a foundation of moral conduct or ethics or wholesome living. So living and engaging in, in a wholesome, moral, healthy way, which helps the mind-body um, develop a degree of um, health and ease and joy, certainly the mind free from regret, remorse, guilt, shame, fear, angst. So uh, foundation in wholesome, wholesome conduct. Second is um, the element of uh, samadhi, which translates usually as concentration, often uh, spoken about as meditation but more specifically, concentration and even a coalescence of mind, a focused mind developed through meditation, which often is a result of um, being able to live in a wholesome, healthy, uh, meaningful and moral way of life that allows the mind to calm down and be more focused easily, as opposed to being stressed by fears of uh, of um, getting found out, will they find out, and uh, um, what if they do, and uh, maybe I shouldn't have done that, so regret, remorse, guilt, shame, which uneases the mind for meditation. And then as a result of a calm, clear mind developed through meditation practice, then there is the third practice um, element, which is panya, being wisdom, 
understanding, insightful understanding, wisdom. So the this trinity of um, practice within Buddhism, morality, meditation, wisdom becomes a real helpful template for engaging into life from. But this evening to emphasize the that middle factor of meditation, and especially in the context of what is spoken about as the eight practice factors for living consciously in Buddhism, uh, which uh, certainly summarized down into morality, meditation, and wisdom. So the eight becomes the three. But the, the um, seventh and eighth factor as the right, wholesome, skillful use of mindfulness and especially the right, wholesome, skillful use of uh, meditation, so samma samadhi. And while samadhi is a level of meditation, a, um, a state of consciousness where the mind is, is focused, one-pointed, but that can develop into a deeper state or deeper states of meditation, which become the four, the four jhana, J-H-A-N-A, the four jhana. And jhana, another word for meditation, but it more specifically means absorption. So these are deeper states of meditation, meditative absorption. And so I thought to... Um, um, talk about what these are, and in that appreciating that um, they are not easily developed, they do require a number of factors to develop these deeper states of meditative absorption, including, including regular practice. So ongoing regular practice, as in like every day, and ideally for at least more than 20 minutes, more like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, or more, uh, which which does become easier because um, these deeper states of meditation have great peace, tranquility, bliss, ease, physical ease within them. So they're, they're not so difficult and challenging. Uh, they don't make meditation difficult and challenging. It's like well, sitting for an hour in jhana is like an hour of bliss, as opposed to oh well, that's I couldn't do that. That's that's too too stressful. So because they they are easeful and blissful, they motivate people to meditate every day and at least for a good length of time, 40, 50, 60 minutes or so. They also require, um, let's say, a, a suitable environment for meditation. Generally, a, a an environment which is, is quiet and calm and peaceful, where you're not going to be disturbed by, by mobile phones going off, maybe not your own, but other people's, the neighbors, um, cats that want to jump on your lap, <coughs> as well as um, um, you know, a busy mind that has lots of to-do lists in it that often disturbs people. They sit down to meditate, but after a while they think, oh, well, actually, I should do that, and... And hence, hence these meditations, these deeper meditations, are often more practiced by people that are devoted more specifically to meditation practice, such as uh, Buddhist monks and nuns, where part of the reason of becoming a Buddhist monk and nun is to move into an environment that facilitates the possibility of mental development, especially through meditation, uh, that environment supports, supports meditative practice.
Whereas um, the way of the world, being in the world, being a layperson, it is difficult. There's ongoing responsibilities, obligations, duties, stresses, things to do, places to go, people to see, etc., money to make. And it's difficult to take the time, make the time to sit down and practice meditation. So a bit more challenging. Um, however, however, it is not impossible for people to develop these deeper states of meditation. And in the context of the Buddha's teachings, there are discourses of the Buddha where there is um, really speaking to people, lay people about developing these deeper states of meditation. Also where lay people talking about their deeper states of meditation. But um, uh, it does require great uh, commitment and effort. Some people even find that they are more um, attuned to or aligned to quietening the mind and developing these deeper states of meditation. Uh, whereas, say, other people not. They have a more of a discursive thinking, contemplative type of uh, mind. So in a way, it becomes like two, two types of generalized minds, a mind that is um, easily calmed and um, easily quiet, maybe more of an introspective, um, calmer person as opposed to the extrovert, outgoing, thinking type of person that maybe is more aligned to meditation that is of a contemplative nature um, to do with some thinking, some vipassana meditation, so a bit more thought, contemplating, reflecting. Even where in the, um, the story of uh, the Buddha and the early, early Buddhist monks, there were two very well-known um, enlightened disciples of the Buddha. They were actually um, two friends before they actually met up with the Buddha, two friends that were um, practicing meditation, spiritual practices, yoga and so forth, and they decided to uh, um, listen to the Buddha and felt inspired to go forth to become a become ordained into the Buddhist uh, Buddhist tradition, and um, so one of them was um, Sariputta, and the other was Moggallana, and they both uh, did achieve or realize full, complete spiritual mm -hmm. enlightenment. However, by different avenues, Moggallana was uh, very uh, skilled in developing these deeper states of concentration and so he developed these jhana meditations and with the refinement of consciousness the purification of his mind from being caught into mental hindrances his mind became free and fully enlightened and Sariputta was um, uh, more inclined towards discursive thinking and reflecting and so he became enlightened more through a vipassana process, so insight, investigation. Vipassana, vi is a prefix meaning into, and pasana means seeing, so seeing into or inner sight, so insight into the nature of reality, conditioned reality and unconditioned reality. So two, two ways. And it's even said that um, um, generally speaking, the Eastern mind is uh, um, more able to develop the deeper, calm states 
the Western mind, which is a bit more active, uh, unsettled usually, uh, questioning, doubting, tends to go more for the, the insight meditation approach. However, um, this also aligns with the fact that um, in the West, it's very, very, um, um, how to put it, there's, there's very few places that you would find as meditation centers that are focused on developing these deeper states of meditation. There's more meditation centers that are about vipassana. So vipassana centers, vipassana meditation, vipassana teachers, because um, it tends to be maybe a little easier, uh, requiring less, less focus and less, um, less mind strength than say the, the deeper states of meditation, but still it's, it's worthwhile knowing about them, knowing what they are, especially um, if um, you are aligned to developing deeper states of meditation and maybe you don't have a real, real sort of big social life. So you can um, say, ah, plenty of time to be at home and uh, practice meditation. For example, this, um, this meditation group might be the, your big outing of the week. Um, your big socializing is to, is to come here and be around a group of meditators, uh, five minutes of chat around tea time, uh, a cup of tea and a bit of a chat. That's a big social occasion of the week and otherwise you're at home meditating. <laughs> so maybe you've already realized these four deeper states of meditation. <laughs> maybe you can offer comment uh, to them. But, um, but often, often that's, that's not so much the case. But it can be really helpful to know what they are because you may find that your mind does, does incline to or actually goes into a, a deeper state of meditation. Especially maybe if you're on a meditation retreat. Maybe you uh, take the time to go into a retreat, which may be a, a day retreat, a weekend retreat, a, a week-long retreat, a 10-day retreat that may not be a vipassana, uh, retreat, but just simply a meditation retreat, and um, in that quiet environment, your um, life simplified for a period of time, more meditation practice, and uh, the mind does become calm and still and focused, and then moves into a deeper state, which certainly may be samadhi, a concentration or coalescence of mind, but maybe even becomes more refined into absorption, deeper states. So to know to know sort of what they what they are. Uh, I'll read from some course notes that I put together some years ago, which um, a course which is um, which I called Mindfulness Meditations and the Eight Practice Factors for Conscious Living, which then includes Sama Samadhi, the eighth factor. But in that I spoke about the uh, the jhanas, these deeper states, and so. Um, the um, four levels of absorption meditation, jhana, again spelt J-H-A-N-A. So the first level of absorption is marked by initial application of mind on the object of meditation, such as the breath. Sustained application of mind on the object of meditation, so actually holding attention there. So not just putting the mind onto the, the breath, but actually exerting effort to keep the mind on the, on the breath. Uh, also with joy, happiness and concentration, functioning in harmony, resulting in pleasure of mind. So as that first level, 
there's some degree of effort required to put the mind or put attention onto the breath and then actually putting the effort in to keep the, keep the attention there until the mind is settled, uh, it's stayed, it's stuck, it's, it's secure with the breath and less likely to slip off or slip out into thinking and wondering and worrying and planning and stressing and so forth. So it's, it's connected. And as a result, there is that sense of happiness and joy. And especially because there is a um, reduction in the five hindrances. The five hindrances that hinder or hold back, limit or restrict the mind from its fundamental calm, clarity, peace, purity. And many of you may have uh, a copy of Ajahn Tiradamo's book, The Five Hindrances, which uh, talks about the uh, those that those five hindrances, hindrances that hinder calm, clarity of mind, being um, the mind being caught into thinking and especially thoughts, thinking about uh, sense desires, so. Um, pleasant things to see, to smell, to taste, to listen to, to to feel, etc. So being caught into those pleasant sensory things. Second hindrance is that of uh, thoughts of um, frustration, irritation, aversion, ill will, anger, so negative thinking. Third hindrance is mental dullness, so the mind becoming dull and sloppy. Um, lazy. The fourth hindrance is um, mental restlessness or agitation, so the mind being restless, distracted, agitated, uneased, which also affects the body as well. And the fifth hindrance is the mind being caught into thoughts, doubting thoughts, skeptical thoughts, thoughts of, um, of no um, rational, logical reason at all, but just skeptical doubt. So these become the five hindrances that limit the mind from being calm and peaceful and pure. So in the first level of jhana, the first um, absorption meditation, the hindrances have been subsided. The second level of absorption results when the mind is free from any thought associated with the initial and sustained application of the mind. There is greater power, one-pointed attention, joy, and happiness are more refined based on concentration rather than a lack of the hindrances. So this, this level, there's a refinement of, um, of uh, joy and happiness because of the strength of concentration rather than the mind um, um, having that joy simply because the hindrances aren't occurring, which means there's actually more energy there's actually an increase in concentration, energy, refinement of, of mind in the second state. The third level of, of absorption results when from the frequent engagement in the second level, the mind loses attachment to the joy of concentration. So actually letting go of, of being attached to that pleasant feeling of joy. With the fading of joy, happiness is refined and deepened mindfulness and equanimity become more prominent. So by letting go of the attachment to the joy, because where there's attachment, there's a degree of slight unease, a sense of holding on, and even energy going into the holding on. So letting go of that, then there is a, a, 
a refined and deepened mindfulness, so mental clarity, and also the calm of equanimity becomes more prominent. So that um, less, less being caught into the pleasure state, more of a, a deep peace then occurs. The fourth and final level of absorption in this set of four occurs when the mind lets go of attachment to the happiness Mindfulness becomes refined and purified by deep equanimity, deep peace and tranquility suffuse the whole of the mind-body. The mind-body is completely balanced, stable and imperturbable. So in that uh, mentally, physically there's an alignment, a sense of um, uh, oneness occurs and um, certainly neurologically there is um, an increase in are the pleasant feeling neurochemicals, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, so certainly a lot of um, feel-good hormones. And obviously there'd be probably no stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, which means the body has a great sense of ease and balance. Um, the various bodily systems are flowing much better, so a great degree of health, and this becomes a a great foundation for potential of great healing because the body's moved into a, a, a wonderful homostatic um, state of, of balance and harmony as opposed to stresses and so forth that, that affect the body even in subtle ways. So great healing potential for the body occurs in this fourth level of jhana. And certainly the uh, immune system is enhanced because there isn't energy going to thinking, wondering, worrying, stressing, planning, you know, bodily tension and so forth. So the immune system has a lot more energy for enabling and recalibrating the body into a state of uh, balance and, and wellness. And obviously there's great peace, very deep peace, profound peace in this deep state of meditation and uh, people can even stay in this deeper state for um, hours because um, um, there isn't that awareness of the body and bodily discomfort. There's a sense of just deep peace, deep bliss and also the part of the brain that um, is associated with um, knowing where the body is in, in place, um, that that uh, goes offline, so there's there's no sense of the body. And when there's no sense of the body, there's no sense of time, because we get a sense of time through feeling the body. And so that um, if you had to sit on a chair or the floor, not in meditation, for an hour, you know it's an hour <laughs> because of discomfort. But if there's no sense of the body, then there's no sense of, of time passing. And so there's a, a great sense of just... Uh, time going often just just really quickly it's a bit like you know when when you're having fun time goes quickly but when it's boring or unpleasant it goes really slow so in this because it's so pleasant and so blissful time goes quickly so people sit in meditation for hours at a time um, but but the the main reason is not uh, of uh, practicing this meditation is not for the um, the bliss state not for the the deep peace of this even though even though um, a uh, monastic friend of mine Ajahn Brahmawangso he very much um, 
talks about the, these deeper states of meditation. He's written a few books about this, and um, he actually has um, well, the, one of the only places I know meditation centers that has the word jhana in it is his, his uh, monastic um, um, meditation center, which is called Jhana Grove in Perth. So um, meditation center called Jhana Grove. And um, Ajahn, Jha, Ajahn Brahm says that um, he feels it's important for his monastics, the monks and nuns in his monastery, to practice this deeper state of meditation and to enjoy this deeper state of meditation because it's better than sex. And they're more likely to stay monks and nuns because of this deep bliss joy. Uh, if they've got it, then, then if, if they don't, they're going to think, oh, gosh, you know, life as a lay person, you can have sex and drink wine. What am I doing as a monk? But if you've got your deep meditation, it's like, wow, don't need sex. <laughs> Blissed out. <laughs> but um, uh, ultimately, the reason for practicing this refinement of mind, these deeper states of meditation, is for the purpose of realizing reality, uh, realizing ultimate truth, freedom. Um, and especially that becomes possible when the mind is so refined, it's not caught into thinking, creating uh, the, the issues around self, the, the selfing process. And therefore, after, after coming out of these deeper states, there's such a refinement and clarity of mind that the, the insight can be very, very powerful. So deep understanding from a mind that's been purified and empowered through these deeper states of meditation. So seeing things really, really clearly, and especially seeing that the mind can be freed from being caught into and identified with the thinking that creates a whole sense of me and self and ego and its stresses and issues. And um, this is where it's said that um, um, what's required for insight or vipassana meditation is to move from these deeper states of jhana into a more um, reflexive state of mind where there can be some degree of consideration or thinking or contemplation and therefore allowing the possibility of contemplating impermanence, the underlying unsatisfactory nature of conditioned experience and also the fact there's no permanent self or ego to be found in anything or as anything. So there's three, those three um, characteristics of existence that the Buddha spoke about, anicca, dukkha, anatta, that come more from a, a level of mind that's not so, so quietened down or calmed down in jhana. This is where you may have heard Ajahn Tiradamo talk about um, uh, him asking Ajahn Chah, our uh, teacher in Thailand, um, how calm do I need to be for, for real um, insight? And Ajahn Chah would say, calm enough, which says a lot. <laughs> uh, it's, so calm enough, not too calm, that the mind is so tranquilized that one gets stuck in this deep, blissful state, but um, not um, um, restless to the point where there's not enough focus to actually look at reality and be able to consider things. So sort of like the, the middle way, calm enough for, for clarity and consideration to, to occur. So these four states of meditation are um, the potential 
for people to develop. Again, one doesn't necessarily need to develop them for deep insight, wisdom, and for enlightenment. They certainly can be a way to refinement of, of minds, enlightenment, liberation, freedom, and, and certainly they become a, um, a source of great joy and pleasure. And even in a worldly sense, the fact that um, if you are able to develop these deeper states of meditation, then there's, um, it becomes um, financially very helpful because you're not looking out for buying another new whatever to get um, a dose of bliss or joy because you say, well, actually, I don't need that. I just need to go and sit down and meditate and I get all the bliss and joy that I want. So it can be um, helpful for the budget a sense of um, happiness beyond just worldly, mundane pleasures and so forth and buying things. And, um, and also a sense of um, being able to simplify one's life, you know, to um, less clutter, less things that you need because you really appreciate that um, meditation is something that's, that's important and powerful and very useful. And especially, um, I mentioned this to uh, some of the older people that are practicing meditation, that as, as our bodies get older and we're less able to use these as our primary source of pleasure, uh, we decide maybe I, I can't go bungee jumping every week, maybe I can't go abseiling or rock climbing so much, um, paragliding, skateboard riding, um, etc. Um, there's still pleasure to be had in, in meditation. So meditation becomes a a more important engagement to uh, be uh, you know, using for for pleasure of of, uh, of mind and also bliss of body as well. But um, uh, I think that through these deeper states of meditation, they develop great great peace, great joy, great clarity, and they in a way benefit benefit the world because there's so much in the world these days that's uh, pretty gross whether it's gross pleasures or gross activities. Um, and there's no end to that. People even need sort of more, more of the same, up the ante to get the same sort of buzz. And there's no end to that, and, um, which, which certainly spins the wheels of capitalism. Um, you need more, more of the same thing to get that same hit that you got before. But meditation becomes a, an avenue where you can have that deep joy, peace, calm, well-being without having to um, get an extra dose of whatever to have the same hit. So meditation can certainly be a, uh, a wonderful way to help heal some of the, the issues of society on our planet in contemporary times. So for yourselves then, um, any, any questions or comments about these deeper, deeper states of meditation? John, do you start out with the intention to do some reflection and vipassana meditation, or does it just happen? Uh, both, both, or either. So that if you start out with the consideration that I'm going to practice some insight or vipassana meditation, and the theme of my meditation will be uh, focusing on the bodily experiences, maybe sensations in the body and I will choose the topic of impermanence. So I'll notice impermanence in the body with regards to the coming and going of various sensations. So you actually that becomes the, the focus. 
So whether it's sensations or it might be feeling states or it might be mental states or mental content, that becomes the four foundations of mindfulness. So um, mindfulness of body experience, felt experience, mental state, mental content, uh, and reflecting on those uh, from the point of view of either impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, or no permanent self to be found in any of them. So you can choose one or all of those three things. Or otherwise, it may be um, that in the Vipassana meditation, you may sit doing some mindfulness of breathing, calm, concentration meditation, and, and then just feel that it's, it's a sort of right to then become aware of um, some insight which may occur because there's an emotion that's come up um, or there maybe there's a sensation of pain that's come up and then you maybe use the insight approach to, to look at and notice the nature of the, the pain or the emotion or the particular mental state that's arisen naturally in the meditation. So both, both ways can be used. John? Many people think the idea is to eliminate thought, but if you were focusing on a particular theme or idea in meditation, wouldn't that involve thought? Would that not work against the putting the mind in neutral? A little bit, but generally you'd put the mind in neutral first. So just that calm, neutral knowing through the mindfulness of breathing. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be a whole lot of thought, but just a, a sense of, um, so the skillful use of thought, the right use of thought, which might be even been just a couple of words, impermanence, or um, not helpful or not satisfactory. So, um, uh, or even just a question: What is the nature of, what is the nature of the self? And then noticing, um, or or what is the nature of sensation? Asking a question in the mind and and sort of investigating. Does it last? No. Um, is there any personal nature to sensation? No, it's not mine, it's not me, it just is. So using some thoughts skillfully to help um, extend awareness or understanding further. Would people who find it hard to sustain focus on the breath benefit from starting with some questioning? Yes, yeah, so having some, uh, um, some meaningful thoughts, some uh, thoughts that you actually know that you're going to ask yourself as a question, even to help quieten the mind down. Uh, like um, even asking, what will my next thought be? And then just waiting for it. And, and often people comment that with that question, what will the next thought be? And the mind goes blank. <laughs> <laughs> so thought can be used skillfully, and that would be the um, samma sankapa, the right use of thought, right skillful use of thought. It's interesting that um, Western science, certainly Western psychology, has has not investigated the mind to the depth that um, Eastern psychology through meditation has. So meditation has been a very powerful avenue for, for cultures of the, the East, especially uh, the meditative traditions, to investigate and contemplate and reflect upon not just states of mind, but even deeper states and refinement of consciousness.
there's a lot that um, the West can learn, and and especially uh, through actually practicing practicing meditation, so then people can actually see and realize and experience for themselves these these deeper states of mind beyond the the theory, the theoretical ideas of it, to actually um, know uh, from experience. Well, certainly as uh, Western science has uh, looked deeper into the brain and the uh, neuroscience and neuropsychology, then obviously moving into the how the brain functions in the context of meditation and not just what goes wrong with the brain and uh, the mind and mental health, but its potential for wellness, clarity and uh, deep insights. So meditation becomes an avenue for that. John, why do you think it's Eastern culture where meditation arose? Uh, well, I don't um, know the direct or even correct answer for that, but only to say that uh, from what we know, the, the Eastern culture um, is an older culture in terms of um, civilization. So a more advanced and developed civilization than, say, the Western culture. So the East, um, India, Asia, had you know, um, philosophers and degrees of science um, bef long before the West did. The West was still, in a way, um, uh, running around in skins and sort of um, um, you know, throwing spears at each other, where, say, the, the East had um, great refinement in culture <clears throat> and especially of um, spiritual traditions before, before the West did, in, in a deeper sort of meditative way of what we know. So there's, there we're still, history's um, still sort of surfacing with regards to um, Western culture and um, um, Celtic culture, which um, uh, has two avenues, both from Ireland and also from um, sort of um, Germanic areas and quite advanced. You know, uh, over a thousand years ago, but um, the East, even the fact that um, what what we know from uh, the Buddha's teachings, so that's um, nearly 2,600 years ago, and quite quite advanced, and and certainly um, mind science, quite advanced, um, and and there's spiritual teachings and meditations <coughs> that that predate Buddhism <coughs> as well. So quite astounding. Is it true that Eastern traditions seem to have known that the mind, spirit, body is all one? Well, I think the, the West probably had that um, in early times, but uh, the problem was the Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church, especially with Descartes, said, um, um, no, science is not allowed to look into the mind and the spirit. That belongs to the church. You need to study basic science. So, um, um, hence the whole idea of dualism and Cartesian dualism, because Western science wasn't allowed to look at the mind and the spirit. But some of the, we would say probably the, the Druids and some of the uh, Wicca, um, traditional um, Western medical mind sort of teachings, um, had that whole connection, but the Catholic Church said no, 
you're not allowed to look at the mind spirit. That's ours. That's religious. We're religious. We're, we're sort of the ordained ones. That's the church. And therefore, other people can't. So then that split occurred, which obviously put Western science back a long way. So, beyond the world, deep meditation. <laughs> a way to uh, move the mind beyond the world and worldly uh, issues and worldly worries is uh, deeper meditation, which then helps to uh, see what's worthwhile and what is not, and um, to be able to live from that calm and that clarity. So, again, the reason I mentioned these four meditations is uh, both to encourage and inspire you possibility of refinement of uh, consciousness, deeper states of mind, and um, uh, in that to feel that meditation can go further than maybe what you have been doing, and, um, and also to see that um, there is a great joy peace that can be found beyond, beyond just worldly pursuits. So certainly worldly pursuits are important to to do and to have and so forth, but also there's deep peace and pleasure and joy and tranquility beyond those worldly things, material things that comes from a, a calm, clear mind. So we'll finish up for tonight. Do have a, uh, a good week and see you next time. That's all for this episode. Until next time, head over to wellawareness.com.au and discover what's on offer to relieve stress and suffering and enhance your health and well-being. From one-on-one counselling related to many issues facing individuals in today's modern world, to meditation courses and retreats.